if you would bear with me, I want to tell you a small story about the time I was a process server. Um, and that was an interesting job. I was the guy that would show up when you didn't want me to, and I would be serving you papers that said you were being sued or, um, I mean, some horrible stuff, just bad stuff, you know. And a lot of times it was, as pe- it was at people's houses that didn't want to be found, and that was really difficult. And uh, so you'd have to kind of go all in the back roads and find out where people... And always the people that didn't want to get served had the four, fi- the four pit bulls, you know what I mean? And they, yeah, it was bad. Um, but I had this little car that God had given me. It was this little Honda CRV hatchback, you know, and it would do like 90 by barely pushing down the thing. I mean, it was fast, and, you know, I'd be on the freeways at 10, 11 at night because you don't process serve in the middle of the day, really, unless you go to somebody's job. Um, and for me, it was, a, it was one of my five jobs when I was getting married. I had a lot of part-time jobs. And so I, here I was, I was on the freeway, and I think I was on the 91 freeway out by City of Industry, just kind of driving, you know, doing my thing. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I'm in the fast lane because, you know, you get a little Honda Civic, you know, a little Honda, you know, CRV hatchback. You're just, you're grooving. And all of a sudden, this truck is in the fast lane. Now, I'm the kind of guy that when I'm driving, I want everybody else to not only respect the law, but know that I'm more important than them. You know what I mean? Maybe my wife always says it's not your job to tell everybody that they're wrong or that you know that they're doing something. You know, it's like when someone opens the car door, you know, and you're driving on the on the road and you're coming down and they open the car door. It's like, boy, I just wish I could take their car door out to teach them a lesson. You know, that would really show them, right? You know, but so here I am. I'm in the and I'm like, what's this guy doing? You know, trucks aren't allowed in the fast lane. Doesn't he know that? And he's now I'm going about eighty. 85 miles an hour, okay? And I, hey, this was, I wasn't a pastor yet, so I could speed. So, and so I'm, I'm driving and I'm, and he's coming up on me, this truck, this massive truck. Um, and, and, and all of a sudden he gets so close to me, it looks like he's about to swallow me up. And he's flashing his lights and he's honking his horn, you know, doing the same. I'm like, are you kidding me? And I'm getting tenser and tenser. And he's doing it. And I'm like, what? And he starts, to, he starts to almost hit me and push me out of the way. And he starts to come up on the side where it's not even the, the, the um, you know, the, the CR, the, what do they call those? The uh, carpool lane. It's not even the carpool lane. It's just the, like an off lane that you go when there's stuff in it. And he's going in that, trying to get over and push me out of the way. Oh, I'm mad. I'm so angry. And I'm like, you don't! And I like to say that I was pure in that moment and I wasn't. Anybody up there, you been there? I was looking in my car for anything I could find to throw it out the window. I'm not kidding. I was not a pretty person. I was not, the, I did not display the character of Jesus at that moment. Let's put it that way. And, and in that moment, I was so angry and I, oh, I just could not contain it. And, and I'm throwing ketchup packets out the window trying to hit him. I'm not kidding. That's what I did. Because for some reason, ketchup packets really denote I'm angry at you and I'm going to get you. But um, I, I didn't know what was going on with this guy, but I didn't care. Anybody been there? I mean, honestly, in that moment, all I, I was just so angry and I was filled with rage. And, and I just remember, you know, you get to that point where you're just shaking. And I was shaking. I was just, you know. And I just remember after that, I spent a lot of time in prayer, not because I needed to be, you know, (laughs) but because I felt so bad. I felt so rotten about what I had done. Um, And I don't know what this guy was doing. I don't know what the reason is, but I just know at that moment, I was definitely not 
pure. I definitely wasn't someone that, if you would have looked at me on the road, be like, wow, there goes a Christian. No. Um, I'm glad I didn't have a fish on my car. Uh, but I lost it. And, and, and you know, we're going to be looking at this next beatitude. And, and I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I make an assumption here to think you're human like me, that maybe you've made that same mistake before. Uh, maybe it wasn't on the road. Maybe it was with that toddler that you were raising. <laughs> maybe it was with, um, with a spouse. Maybe it was at a job. Um, but we're all living life. And we're living life together. And it's really hard to not become impure with people and problems. Amen? And I think that's why it's the number one struggle that we have in life today is people. People and problems. And and a lot of times our problems are because of people. (laughs) And so I want to look at this beatitude today with you because we are going through the kingdom basics. And to me, we're going to be in this for a little bit. I wish, well, you know, do you got a couple of hours? You're going to be here for a while. Okay? Um, This is extra long, but... I want to end this with communion because there's some really good stuff here. And, and, and again, if we look at the Beatitudes as Jesus' of way of saying, here's a level, try to reach it if you can, then we're missing it. But if we look at this as a way that says, look, I know how impure you are. I know how impossible this is, but I've come to lift you up to it. Not on your own power, but under the power of the cross. Because that would be a cruel God, if you really think about it. To say, hey, by the way, you're all stuck and you're all sinners. Peace out. Good luck. And just walk off the scene. That would be cruel. And that's not what Jesus does. He doesn't come to give us more law. He comes to fulfill the law. He comes to fulfill the desires of our hearts and bring us back to the relationship with our Heavenly Father. Amen? And so that's what I love about this. See, there's a reason why the sick came to see Jesus, right? Not so he can be like, oh yeah, you've got it really bad. You're really blind. Okay, next. No, he wasn't here to diagnose, quote unquote. He was here to heal. The sick came to get healed. The sinner came to get saved. Do you get it? And so what I love so much about the Beatitudes and what I love so much about what Jesus is doing here is he's setting up This standard that he says, I know you can't reach it, but I'm going to help you get there under the power of my blood and my body that was broken for you. Let's go ahead and pray and we're going to jump into this. Lord, thank you so much for what you have for us. Thank you so much for bringing us to a church here in in, in downtown Redlands. We love the mission, but more importantly than the four walls, we love the people that the mission wants to reach that are here today and that maybe are homesick or maybe they're home and they don't even know they need to be here or that you love them and care for them but God, you've come for all people and we want to be here for all people. Lord, our world is crazy. The more I turn on the TV, the more I go, wow, that's what's going on? (laughs) But But the more it draws me back to your word which is our foundation and our plumb line for a house a heavenly dwelling that you are building in me of purity where I'm not pure. In my family, which isn't always about purity, but you, my Father, sent your Son who calls me friend, us, brothers and sisters, 
and says, come back. Because you're all about that lost sheep. So Lord, I pray we would be too. And we thank you so much for what you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we get into reading, I just want to cover a couple of things because there's some good stuff that I think God is showing us here. And we're going to do a little different. We're not going to just read the Beatitudes of what we've been reading. Because the Beatitude that we're looking at today um, is, is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's our Beatitude. That's not our passage. It is the main passage, but I, but I want to look at a different passage today that really illuminates this, because this is a big deal. I, I think the more I looked into this, the more I was reading about it, the more I was studying it, I just got swept away. And so I apologize for going long today already, because I'm going to go long. So I apologize. But, but there's a lot of good stuff here, and I, just, I really want you guys to get it, because I need it. Um, first and foremost, if you guys want to get a good understanding, a good principle. Let me just say this. Christianity is not about ideas or principles or even practices. It is mainly and officially about the heart. Let me just say that again. Christianity is not so much about ideas or principles or even practices. It is mainly and officially about the heart. I'm going to explain this a little more. You see, Christianity is so much more concerned about your heart than your actions. That, that we, but we miss this. And the reason for that is because religion is very much so concerned about your actions as opposed to dealing with your heart. Do you see how it flip-flops? And, and it's very easy for us to look at people's actions and say, that's where your heart is. But that's not always the case. And, and we, make, we make Christianity into a religion when we say, now let me just deal with your practices, your actions. And see, what happens is, and some of you might have been there, and one of my favorite authors is Dallas Willard, and he coined a term called sin management. And when Christianity becomes about our actions and not our heart, then we get into the business of sin management. Doing this and not doing that. Controlling this and making sure that doesn't get out of control and making sure you're doing this and you're doing that. And by the way, that's exactly what religion is. That's exactly what Jesus came and basically knocked the Pharisees upside the head, both left and right, because they were all about controlling action and not about the heart. And that's what is so big about this beatitude that I want you guys to understand, that I need to understand. You see, the inward reflections of your heart are in danger of the biggest heart attacker. When we make religion or we make Christianity so much so about our actions and not our heart, then we get this heart attacker which is called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. Now, let me give you a, 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 a little history lesson. I even have some pictures today, so I hope you appreciate that. Um, Hippocrates, or hypocrisy, actually came from a guy named Hippocrates. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, he was about 450 to 339 BC. Now, the greatest thing about Hippocrates was his, his um, six uh, message, like, kind of thing that he put together, his magnum opus. Uh, it was a six-part treatise, and it was, Do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> you got to love that, right? That was his magnum opus. Do as I say, not as I do. He was all about telling people, you need to eat really well, and then he would eat meat and, and bacon and everything all day long. Um, in fact, the greatest thing that was attributed to him, I, just, I love this. If you notice, he's got this really nice beard. This is what Hippocrates said about beards. He said this, it was something more fitting to a dog or a lion. 
for somebody to have a beard. But he thought that his beard was quite regal. You get it? Do you see the problem with Hippocrates? Yeah. See, hypocrisy is what the Pharisees and the religious leaders of Jesus' day suffered from. They would walk around with hands held high, eyes closed, heads up. And they were actually known as the bruised and bleeding ones. Because, I don't know if you know this, but if you walk around with your hands up in the air, praying and not looking, you run into a lot of things. And so they were known to be very, very holy because of their scars all over them or or the fact that they would be bleeding or they had fallen down and maybe... Oh, okay, so they're holy. You see, acting so religious and memorizing Torah. And the thing is interesting, if you go to Israel today, you will find people in the Hasidic Orthodox Jewish faith who are still all day long memorizing Torah, memorizing Bible. They memorize, 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 memorize. They had the whole Old Testament in on their tongues. And yet the assimilation, the ultimate crown of the Old Testament is Jesus Christ. The fulfillment of the law is right before them and they miss it. Do you get how hypocrisy can be a heart killer? You see, this is the hard thing. This is the hard thing about it. So the first thing I want to do today is I want to look at the struggles of purity of heart or having purity and what purity really is. And then I want to look at the way of success. I got three things for the struggle and it's just a flip-flop with the success. Three things that just, that actually just the complete opposite of it. So it's really simple and it's really easy. But before we do that, I'd love to have you guys stand. And, and we're just going to read a passage right out of Matthew chapter 15. Um, Now we stand, if you're new here, we stand hearing God's word just because I believe it helps us focus and it also just gives reverence to the word of God as it's supposed to be. If you can't stand, don't worry about it. I understand. Some are, are, you know, you have problems and you can't stand or whatever. No worries. It's not something you have to do. But we do this out of reverence for the Lord um, if you're able. So, Matthew chapter 15, Verse 1 starts this way. Some Pharisees and teachers of religious law. See, here we are. This is the people. Now arrived from Jerusalem to what? To see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey an age-old tradition? For they ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand washing before they eat. In fact, if you guys know the story, and I'm just going to give you a real quick heads up. When Jesus first turns the water to wine... Do you guys remember that story when he's at a, at a wedding feast in Cana? And, and, he, and, he, and the servants, he asks them, well, do you have some water? And they say, all we have are the ceremonial washing pots. There's about 180 gallons of water in these ceremonial washing pots that when you came in, you would wash your hands with that water. I love it because Jesus takes that water and turns it into wine. See, a lot of people say Jesus wasn't funny. <laughs> oh, he's a riot. <laughs> he's a riot when you really know what's going on. Now, verse 3, Jesus replied, I love this. He doesn't just answer him. He, asks, he answers them by, by a question. And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commandments of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of father or mother must be put to death. But you say it is all right for people to say to their parents, Corban. Now, This passage doesn't say that, but I just wanted to give that to you because we're going to look at that. But sorry, I can't help you. 
For I have vowed to give to God what I have given to you. In this way, you say that you don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You Hippocrates. Hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Then Jesus called to the crowd to come and hear. Listen, he said, and try to understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that defiles you. You are defiled by the words that come out of your mouth. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Hey, hey, Jesus, don't, don't you just realize that you offended the Pharisees for what you just said? I love it. <laughs> That's his PR crew, right? Jesus replied, Every plant not planted by my heavenly Father will be uprooted. So ignore them. They are blind guides leading the blind. And if one blind person guides another, they will both fall into a ditch. By the way, that's an allusion to the broken and bleeding ones. They fell into ditches all the time. Then Peter said to Jesus, Explain to us the parable that says people aren't defiled by what they eat. Jesus asked, Don't you understand yet? Anything you eat passes through your stomach and then it goes into the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart. That's what defiles you. And from the heart come evil thoughts, murderer, adulterer, uh, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. Eating with unwashed hands will never defile you. Okay, you can be seated. So what are these struggles here that Jesus is outlining? And I just want to cover these really quickly because I said we've got a lot, of, a lot of ground to cover. But this is so good because honestly, again... <laughs> We've been here, and we look at our actions, and we say, man, I'm disqualified. <laughs> because we also know our heart, don't we? And that's what I want to look at here. Real purity, number one, always starts with a single-minded focus. The word for purity in the Greek that's used for blessed are the pure in heart is single-mindedness. It's this idea of, it's a glass of water, and in it is just water. Just water. Now, they didn't know the elements. They didn't know that it was actually hydrogen and oxygen and, you know, but the, just water. And, and at that time, you know, the Jewish people were all about, when they taught dramatic understanding, that's why he taught in parables and stories, because to get it across to the, the people, he had to teach that way. And so I could imagine sometimes when they were looking at this idea of single-mindedness and purity, they probably would have grabbed a glass of water and said, look, how pure, and then dumped a little bit of dirt in there. It's not single-minded anymore. It's not pure. Do you get it? I drink that water. When I used to talk to kids a lot of times about how they can make themselves impure and say it's okay, I'd say, well, what if I were to bake you some brownies right now? I'm going to bake you some brownies. Make you some really good brownies. And right before they took a bite, they said, oh, oh, I forgot to tell you, 5% of it is dog poo. I hope you don't mind. I hope you don't mind. I just ran out of ingredients. It's just 5%. That's it. I guarantee you, I wouldn't have one kid that wanted to try it. Except for that crazy kid. It's like, do I get something good if I do this? Like it's a, like it's a, you know, a game. I can promise you, you won't taste it. I don't care. It's not pure. Again, I've used this illustration. When we get married, right? We want single-mindedness. I'm marrying you. And I want 100% of you. I don't want 82%. I don't want 89%. I don't even want 99%. I want 100 you know, you get a job. They want single-mindedness. In fact, I used to get that all the time. Again, I had a lot of jobs. And not all of them were ones I actually wanted to continue as a career. 
I didn't want to be a barista the rest of my life. I enjoyed it. I didn't want to be a waiter. And I would get that sometimes. Hey, your head's not here, Robbins. And I'd be, I wanted to shoot back. Well, of course. Do you think I want to do this for the rest of my life? I don't. So it's hard to be single-minded. Some kids, in classes, right? You're in, you're in a class. <laughs> really, am I ever going to use trigonometry? I hated math. And I could safely say I've never used it. <laughs> I mean, I've used simple math, but I've never used algebra. And I'm going to go to my grave smiling about that. I am smiling. Oh, thank you. I was stubborn enough. But you know what? Purity, single-mindedness, 100%. By the way, this is what worship is. God from the beginning created our hearts to be pure, single in its purpose, passion, and power. This is what worship, if you're filling in the blanks, it is what worship is. To, to whatever we receive our purpose from, or our passion from, or our power. By the way, everyone worships something. It drives me nuts when I hear people say religion is a crutch, or Christianity, or your Jesus is just a crutch. I'm like, well, what do you worship? Oh, I don't worship anything. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. We all look to something outside of ourselves to receive purpose, to receive power, and to receive passion. It's what we do. It's who we are. It's in our DNA. Do you get it? I mean, a good example of this is, you know, the person who receives all their purpose from success is worshiping success. The person who receives all their passion from being comfortable, well, you're just worshiping comfort. The person who places relationship at the front of everything and needs that person above all else gets their power from worshiping relationships. Atheists and say, oh, it's only science. Well, then you're getting it from science. I've talked to too many scientists and they have faith and they worship. It's just at a different house. But I only draw trust from myself. I don't need to worship anyone. Oh, well, you're worshiping yourself then. You see... We all worship something. We all draw our purpose, passion, and power from something. This is why we're all divided. This is why we are divided. This is why we don't make perfect marriages. This is why we don't make perfect friends. This is why we don't make perfect families. And can I say it? We don't have a perfect church. Because we're divided. We're not single-minded in everything. Do you get what I'm saying? And this is what I love about Jesus Christ the author of grace. That's what we need. See, if we start with the heart, we need to see that we are divided and hypocritical. The religious leaders of the day, hypocritical. And so why does Jesus, by the way, say Corbin? Why does he talk about this whole idea? Let me just say this. This was an interesting thing. If a person declared, let's say I have parents that are getting older and ailing in that day, you needed to take care of them. It was all about taking care of your... Because, by the way, there was no social security. There were no old folks' homes. There were nothing that would take care... Your parents would be out on the streets. And so it was... You just did it. You took care of your parents. When they couldn't take care of themselves, you took care of them. And so what would happen is, people would come in and go, I can't do it. I can't fulfill the law. It's too hard. And so the religious leaders of the day said this, Ah, there's a loophole. See, isn't there always a, always a loophole with religion? There's a loophole. You just say Corbin on all your stuff. You go to your house and you say Corbin. You go to your TV and you say Corbin. You go to your pantry and you say Corbin. And Corbin was the word for I give it all to God. It's my sacrifice. And so if it's given to God, I'm sorry, Mom and Dad. I can't give it to you. I wish I could. 
No, you don't. You made it Corbin so you wouldn't give. And this is what Jesus is pointing out. Jesus is saying, see, you've allowed them to totally go against what God has said. You disregard it. It's your actions because your heart is jacked up. It's screwed up. And here you are talking to me about my disciples washing and that's not even a direct commandment of God. They could say they honored their parents but they truly did not act like it. And like our friend Hippocrates, do as I say, not as I do. Right? Second, the heart is always the seat of our issues and struggles. It's always the seat. Verse 19, for, the, for from the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. See, if our heart is bad, everything else is bad. Jesus says this also. In, the, in, in Luke, he says, your heart is evil, everything else will be evil. What Jesus is saying here is truly bad news to all of us. We can't be good enough. Just like me with a truck driver. I don't know if you know this, but the heart can never be controlled. I know you've tried. Um, look, at, look, at, look at New Year's resolutions. I just want to bring that up one more time. <laughs> because this is so the truth. It's, we face the battle of a divided heart all the time on New Year's Eve. I will not eat poorly again and, stick, and I will stick to a healthy diet. But man, do I get serious power from a Five Guys burger. You get what I'm saying? I will not talk to that cute person at work. I will be faithful to my spouse. But what a passion I feel when I get the attention. I will spend more time with my family and less time working. But man, I have such a purpose at the office or building or that project that I'm working on. Do you get the dividedness of the heart? It's in everything. Everything. And it cuts us. This is why the word of God, as it says in the book of Hebrews, cuts and divides through bone and marrow. It's got to get to that heart. And I don't know if you know this, but in, in, in the medical profession, they've got a thing called a chest cracker because it's nasty to get into there. And it's not easy. And the word of God sometimes has to do this chest cracking motion to get into where the heart is, spiritually speaking. And the temptation is to go to a conference, to read a book. Number one, books sold still are self-help books. Or maybe even, yes, come to a sermon and listen. And maybe then I will... Hmm, it's in the heart. It's in the heart. Unless the heart changes, we will continue to struggle for purity. Where is the heart dividing you? Lastly, by our self, our hearts are always stuck. Any serious reflection leads us here. This is just the kind of the, where the rubber meets the road. This is why Jesus' disciples tell him, hey, you're offending the religious leaders, Jesus. You're, you're really messing this up here. They're going to get mad at you. You're telling them that they're wicked. Deep down. He's telling the people who are supposed to be the most pure and the most close to God that they are stuck and the farthest away. The supposedly most pure are the most filthy. Do you get it? Jesus does this all the time. The struggle with purity is when we start with ourselves and we see that we are hypocrites, just like the Pharisees. I know. Uplifting sermon, right? Let's pray. No. There's more. <laughs> There's more. Because if I left you there, that would be cruel. And if God leaves us there, that's even more cruel. 
And I think sometimes we do this as religious people, as people who love the Lord, but we, we have to, just like me with that truck driver, I want to tell him how wrong he is, but I don't want to see what's truly going on. And God moves past of seeing the problems and the actions, and he goes right to the heart. Amen? And that's what we need. This is why God is the perfect judge. This is why God is all-loving and the perfect example of grace and the only one that can save. I can't do that. I can't do that, but he can. So if we look at uh, Luke 18, I want want you guys to turn to that real quick because there's some good stuff here. And I want to look at the success, the way of success. The way of success. And by the way, it's always with Jesus. Can I say that? I'm going to say that every time. It's always with Jesus because Jesus is the way. He is the truth and he is the life. And that is the foundation of this church and that is the foundation of our faith. If we look at Luke 18, we really get the answer what it means to be pure in heart. I love this parable because again, Jesus uses hyperbole here. He uses exaggeration to show us this. In verse 9 of Luke chapter 18, he says this, Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Do you get that? It's almost like this subtext to who he's telling the story to. To those people who trust their own hearts, who think that they can become pure on their own merit, who think that they can really do it on their own heart. By the way, Pharisees, double-mindedness, verse 10. Two men went to the temple to pray. Sounds like the beginning of a joke, right? One was a Pharisee, one was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. I love Jesus. He just loves to do this, doesn't he? The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else, for I don't cheat, I don't sin, I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector back there. I fast twice a week and I give you a tenth of my income. What is he pointing to? All actions, isn't he? I do this, I do that. I am this, I am that. If you guys ever want a really good hoot, go look at Old Testament prayers by rabbis. Think, I thank the Lord. One of my favorites, and I only say this not because I agree with it, but because it's just so out there. Lord, thank you for not making me a Gentile, a woman, or a dog. That's their prayer. That's religion, by the way. That's hypocrisy. And here we have a hypocrite. All outward forms of purity. Verse 13. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. My heart is wicked. I tell you, Jesus says, this sinner, not the Pharisees, Pharisee returned home justified before God for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I love what Jesus is doing here. By the way, if we were to tell this today, it would be like a pastor and a pimp going to a church. I'm not kidding. That's the idea here. That's the hyperbole. Or a nun and a prostitute. That's That's what we're looking at here. That's the hyperbole. That's the exaggeration Jesus is using. He wants you to really get this. And he takes the Pharisee. And Jesus does this all the time. Because there's other parts where he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. And everyone's looking around going, who can do that? Those guys are broken and bleeding and bruised from all the stuff that they do for God. They're so righteous. But he's making that as a point because he's like, it's not about what we do. That's hypocrisy. It's in the heart. And so there's three things here I want to point you to that are really simple. 
The Pharisee starts with self, but the tax collector ends with surrender. If I redid this, I would say stops with surrender. (laughs) The Pharisee starts with self, but the tax collector stops with surrender. The good news of the gospel is that God does care and he wants us to live free and whole as we were meant to. No longer double-minded. See, if we're honest, Jesus, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul and then love your neighbor as yourself. No one can do that because what he's saying is purely, single-mindedly loving God. I can't do it. <laughs> I try to pray for longer than 15 minutes and I'm thinking about breakfast, I'm doing this, I'm getting bored, sometimes I fall asleep. Anybody there? I mean, I'll be into a book, and it's all about Jesus, and I'm going, yeah, and then all of a sudden I I go, wait, what was I doing? Boy, I see my neighbors. I I should do something about that, shouldn't I? I should love them. How do I do that? Hmm, I gotta get to a meeting. Maybe maybe tomorrow. You see, the Pharisee tried to say, No, I did it all. I did it all. You did? Let's be honest. The tax collector, it ends with surrender. I can't do it. Do you see his heart? Lord, I just give you my heart. I give you everything. I can't do this. I'm done. If I'm honest, I'm a hypocrite. Look at me. No longer double-minded and struggling, but pure and successful in God's family. Who do you worship? Are you relying on God for your purity or struggling with something or someone else to fill your heart? Secondly, the tax collector gave the seat of his heart to God and received the security of God. We're going to be doing our roots class and the first, the first lesson, I love it, is our assurance of salvation. Our assurance of salvation. It seems like such a simple thing and I can say it and some of you are going, yeah, I know that. Or some of you are going, assurance of salvation. No other religion truly has it. We had the honor to go hang out with the Paramis last Sunday and we were talking about Hinduism and all these different things. And, and the thing I always go to with every other religion is how do you know that you're accepted by God? How do you know? How are you secure? How, do you, how, how is it that you can say right now I am completely self-secured in, the, in, in God's love for me? How do you know that? Now, I, that can be cruel because most of the people I talk to, they can't. Because they say, well, I did this many prayer wheels or I, lo- I lit this candle or I did this many good things and I go, but where does that stop? Because what about the one guy that does more? And You see? Jesus. Jesus secures us. If we're on the seat, then we set the standard. And I don't know about you, but I stink. At setting a standard. I can set it good for everybody else. But if you're like me, you've blown your own standard. Jesus on the seat makes us secure. And he intercedes for us on it to God our Father. I love it. Who is on the seat of your heart? Do you have the security of God? Lastly, The Pharisee was stuck with self. The tax collector was set free with a Savior. This is the truth of the gospel. You're no longer stuck with yourself. Those New Year's resolutions? Hey, good intentions, man. (laughs) But good luck. No longer do you have to have that addiction to fill you. No longer do you need to attain that job, promotion, etc. to complete you. No longer do you have to perform so that God will love you. 
or you will be secure if you do this or don't do that. You won't be, no, no longer because you can be set free. And that's what Jesus says when he says, those who try to exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. If you have a savior, you're set free. We can live pure before God. And what, what I want to say, and we're going to end it right here with, with the communion table, because I think that's the most appropriate place to end it. Not our purity, but God's purity. Amen? God's body broken for us. God's blood shed for us. His purity, not mine. Not mine. If you're here on the faith of somebody else, I want to encourage you to make a step of faith and say, Lord, I want to be here because of my relationship with you, not because of my wife's relationship or my grandpa's relationship or whatever it is. That's what the communion table is all about. What I love about this is sometimes we have to look at tradition. And I've got some pictures here which I think are, are fascinating because Jesus says, and then they will see God. What does that mean? Because I don't know about you, but I want to see God. But what does that mean when he was speaking it in the Jewish mindset? See, traditionally, priests, when they started a thing, they would bless. They would start with a blessing and they would have a sacrifice. And so when, we, when Jesus is telling the story, he's telling it in the standpoint of we're in the middle of already what's happening with the tax collector in the back and, and, and the Pharisee in the front. And, but everybody who was listening would have known the context and what was happening and what the priest would have done beforehand. And one of the things that the priest would have done is they would bless everybody in the morning after the sacrifice. Something probably witnessed by the tax collector and the Pharisee. The blessing was right out of Numbers chapter 6. And it went like this. It says, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn His face toward you and give you shalom, peace, true peace. See, the, the priest would make a symbol. Now, I can't do it because I can never do the Spock thing. Okay, But it's, it's, it's the symbol for shin, which is what we get Shaddai. El Shaddai, all providing one. And what they would do is they would, do you see it? And they would do this and the people would be out in the congregation and, and the Jewish, and the, Jesus went to how many of these? I can't even count. And the, and the, and the priests would get up and, and, and they, would, they would do this and they would put their, their heads down, everybody in the congregation, and they would put their heads down in reverence to the divine blessing as the priest would make this. And, and tradition says that they, they would do it where the light was shining through in the morning and the light would go through to show that it's not the priest. The priest really is doing nothing. It's El Shaddai. It's God that is giving the divine blessing. And in Numbers chapter 6, when Moses is given this, it's said in such a way that, hey, this isn't from you, this isn't from Aaron, this isn't from the priest, this is from your Maker. This is from your Heavenly Father. This is from your God who created you and loves you and wants His face to shine on you. Do you get it? Amen! You see, the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, it doesn't matter, it's all God saying, I've come for you. I want you. I love you. And the people would look down and may the Lord lift up His face towards you. you. In the Jewish understanding, this was so glorious because when those people were looking down, they were saying, that's right, I can do nothing. And then they would think about this. I love this next picture because this is the idea of may the Lord's face shine upon you. It's God lifting you up so that His face is shining. And this is the exact symbol that we would have gotten in the Jewish tradition. And many times we come before God and we say, Oh Lord, as a tax collector. But Jesus is making a good point, and especially when he says, The Lord, when, blessed are the pure, 
Because God lifts them up. And God looks right at them. As a father does to a son. Or a father does to a daughter. And a mother does to a daughter. And says, I love you. And I've got you. You're safe. Do you get it? This is the blessing. This is the ultimate blessing of any Jew. The rabbis would give this every time. And Jesus says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall be lifted up and see God. This is what Jesus meant. We're going to take communion, as I said, but do me a favor. Let's close our eyes and let's bow our heads. I want this to stick in your mind because as that tax collector sat there, he was probably thinking the same thing. Lord, how could you ever lift me up? How could you ever look right at me? Whereas the Pharisee wasn't tired yet of lifting himself up. That's okay, God, I got myself. I got this. You don't need to lift me up. (laughs) Some of you out there, You're getting tired. You're getting overwhelmed. You're anxious. You're afraid. You're troubled. And that's so easy to do when we lift ourselves up. We get tired. God wants to lift you up. He lifted His Son up on a splintery, nasty cross. To take payment so that we might be free. His body broken for you and me. His blood shed for you and me. The whole point was so that we could be right with the Father again and see Him. This is what I love about God's Word. This is what I love about being able to teach it. I'm just an emissary that says God wants to lift you up. Amen? That's what it means to be a witness. That's what it means to give your testimony. That's what it means when you come up here. And I want you to get that image in your head of the Father lifting the child up as we worship and take communion right now. I want you to be thinking about how God is saying, because of the cross, because of my Son, I sent Him to die for you. And he was lifted up on the third day because you can't keep a good, perfect man down. Amen? (laughs) This is why Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Because if God is holding you up, who can bring you down? Amen? But it starts with your heart. And brothers and sisters, this is why I take communion. Because my heart is hypocritical. My heart is desperately wicked. That's why I go to the communion table, because I know Jesus Christ did it for me. And I say, thank you. Thank you. Lord, we come before you, and we say thank you. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I love that statement, Lord. And I pray, Lord, as we, as we take communion, as we look to do something that was given to us that we could never do on our own, help us to realize that it's not one more sacrifice we need to give, but you finished it on the cross. Lord, we just want to love you and honor you by just giving you our hearts. That's all we can do.
And you're going to do something big inside of us. I don't think there's an ever-fitting place right now but to just give the blessing that would have been given to Jesus for many years that God has given to His people and He gives to us today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace.